we have to do this. That's what I tell people. I'm like, oh, I can't. I I have I have to do this. I have to go see Bullet Train at twelve yeah. fifteen p.m. on a Thursday morning. I have to get Sorry. on the train an hour Look. ahead of time so that Look, I can Mom, stop at I the Chick Fil A before Bullet Train. <laughs> I know you're dying. Okay, I know you only have a couple more minutes to live, but it's you or Bullet Train. Okay, and I have to do it. The pod is important. Okay, Mom. So, I've told you so many up. times, my priorities for this week include watching Bullet Train. <laughs> yeah. Get over it. I promise I will, you know, clean my room when I get home. But look, Mom, I'm 30, okay? <laughs> I'm 30. I'm allowed to go. I'm allowed yeah. to go. See this movie in the middle of it? Don't. I have an interview <laughs> set up later this week, okay, Mom? It's Bullet Train time. What's up, Real Critics? It's Jose here, as always, and you're listening to Everyone's a Real Critic here at EARC. John Wolf and I take a look at movies that have a 20% difference between the audience and the critic scores on Rotten Tomatoes. We'll give you the Real Critics thoughts on the movies, we'll break down some of the critic and audience reviews, and we'll wrap it all up with the real ranking. But at the end of the day, remember that it doesn't really matter because everyone's a real critic. So let's get into it, John. My friend, my homie, my brother, my co-host, how you doing today? Doing great, man. Doing great. It's still hot blockbuster summer. Still got some big beefy bros coming at you today. Speaking of big beef, see you with that in and out shirt right there. Oh, Speaking yeah. of cheese, nothing's cheesier than us. <laughs> so if you're looking for beef and cheese, skip the in and out. Catch up on all of our podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. Where podcasts we do it baby. animal style. Every time. Oh, baby. (laughs) This week, we travel somewhere and go to the movie theater in order to watch and and talk about this this movie. And let me tell you something, man. I think I know why people hate the movie theater. Why? Check this out. Tell me why. The last three times, last three times I went to the movie theater, my experience has been terrible. Has this, like, when you're going now, are people acting respectable or have they just completely forgotten how to act in the movie theater? What I don't know. Like? Normally people are, normally the movies that I've seen in the theater, I go to, like, matinees, you know, like, at noon. So I'm, like, yeah. the only person there. Okay. We'll check this. So the first time was Batman and it was my birthday. And there I'll was some birthday, dude behind Batman. me that was just hawking up loogies every two minutes. He had something going on. And uh, so already when I'm in the movie theater, can barely hear what the Batman is saying because he's like, <laughs> and <then he's> like, <laughs> hawking up loogies the whole time. Like, I get it's spring, but my God, if you know you got a problem, if you got allergies, take a Claritin D and then get to the movie. It's like, you know we, what I'm we live in a post pandemic world. What are you doing, bro? Yeah, you, you don't have be, to fill the spit around. bucket behind me, man. It's for popcorn. Spit bucket. Right. <laughs> You're watching Batman. It's like uh, <laughs> something in the way. <laughs> I couldn't tell if that was the song or the guy trying to hog the loogie up on it. The second time I went was to see our beloved Top Gun Maverick, the sequel to the beautiful Top Gun. 
And I was unfortunately seated next to a father-son duo. Not because I hate father-son duos, but this kid <laughs> did, clearly didn't get the lecture from his dad that, like, you don't talk in the movie theater. Like, this is supposed to be a communal experience. And so anytime anything happened in the movie, the kid was, oh, my God, is that Tom Cruise? And his, his dad was like, yeah, yeah, it is. And his dad wasn't like, shh. He was like, yeah, it is Tom Cruise. You can see him right here from other of your favorite movies, Top Gun. The original, Mission Impossible 1, Mission Impossible 2, Mission Impossible 3. And then the kid would be like, whoa, do you think he's going to fly the plane? And his dad would be like, yeah, he is going to fly that plane. It's actually an F-22 fighter jet. And I was like, this is incredible. Like, I don't condone, like, I wasn't going to, like, scream at the kid or embarrass him or anything. But, like, come on. You got to You got to know better. And then when I saw this movie yesterday, there were only five people in the theater. There was me, a younger couple that came in late, and then these two old farts at the front of the theater. And <laughs> I thought it was going to be just fine until the younger couple had TikTok videos playing loudly during the movie. Like, no. tic- like you could hear the music and then like screaming from their phone. No then, way. Then one of them took a phone call on speaker during the movie. <laughs> And then at one point, they just got into full conversation. No unfortunately, fucking way. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm not a confrontational person, but I was really hoping that one of the old farts, I was just going to stand up and just start screaming at them. But it, it never happened, probably because they're deaf and they were sitting in that first two rows and could barely no hear anything. No fucking way. Yeah, man. Welcome that is back so to rude. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Oh, shit. That sucks, man. Yeah. I mean, well, there were like five people in my theater too, but everybody was pretty well distanced, you know? I had like a whole row to myself. Um, but your story does remind me of something. So I just got back from vacation. Um, you know, my family and I went to the Grand Canyon to go see, uh, we, we hiked Zion National Park. But on the flight back to Chicago, I was reminded of your story with the child because I had one of my own. I had an annoying uh-huh. ass fucking brat sitting in front of me. I was like in the in the very back. I don't pay for seats. Like I just let the airline yeah, sure. pick. No, no, no. Whoa, humble brag. You don't pay for seats, huh? They just no, invite I'm just you like on the plane. private jet. You just <laughs> pick your seat. No, you know, like you know, like it says, pick your seat for like an extra fifty bucks or whatever. Like I don't do any of that shit. I'm just like seat <laughs> me wherever. Um, unfortunately, they sat me behind like this like Swedish family who you know, would not, you know, like, behave, like, modify that behavior of their child when it's wailing. It's, like, wailing on the flight in the worst way. And he's just, like, slamming the armrest up and down over and over the whole time. So, like, it woke me up. And then the kid was just, like, standing on his, like, dad's lap. Like, it was like a toddler or something. But it was standing on his dad's lap enough to where it could, like, yeah, peek over his seat and stare right at me. (laughs) And so I was just giving. I wish I I was. I told my sister I was like, I wish I had taken a video of this fucking kid so I can show you guys his face because his face is seared into my memory. (laughs) I can still see his eyes blinking at me exactly, and I wanted so badly to just be like, but he kids didn't speak English, you know. He he was a kid like or from some other european country so he probably doesn't even speak whatever language they know uh 
But the kid was just like American. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, this is Utah. Welcome to America, kid. <laughs> we speak American here. But uh, yeah, it was pretty awful. I just was like staring right back at the kid, like shut the fuck up, just shut the, shut the fuck up, trying to tell him to shut the fuck up with my eyes. Didn't quite How'd work. It, go? it didn't work. Uh, so I just kind of rolled my eyes over and over and dealt with it. Get that so. kid a meatball, am I right? Jeez, come on. Yeah, jeez. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, there were. Uh, no screaming kids in the movie that we watched uh, this That's time, right. but there was an annoying daughter in this movie. So, um, not as much big beefy action for the boys, but there was plenty of action in this one. We're talking Bullet Train, which came out on August fifth and got a fifty-four percent from critics and a seventy-six percent from the audience. But before we uh, go on a non-stop action ride on the Bullet Train. Let's do what we always do, especially in a time of need right now. Let's help the people by pitching what's really good or really bad in our favorite segment, What You Watching. All right, John. So, so do you want me to start this one out? Do you want to start this one? I'm sure you and I have a very similar ones. Yeah, I think we, I think we got so, some similar ones. Uh, you know, I think let's uh, let's talk a little uh, eat, pray, love right now. <laughs> eat, newest, pray, love. Yeah, I had a friend text me that um, we were talking about the newest Hulu blockbuster Prey. Unfortunately, it doesn't. Uh, make our qualifications, but uh, I would have loved to me. talk about this for an I, hour and a half. I know, I know. He texted me about it, and he said, uh, "Eat, pray, love," and that's all he said. <laughs> that was his review. I loved it. Can't get any better than that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> what do you think of it, um, dude? Overall, I mean, this I felt like this movie takes the Predator franchise back to what made it great in the first place, and that is simplicity you know there's barely any fucking dialogue in this movie there are barely any other characters other than like the protagonist her brother uh and the predator and the movie spends most of its time like setting up our main character her motivation and simultaneously showing us like the predator versus prey in like a very visual sense and it works it works super well. Uh, it's effective. It's fun. Amber Midthunder is so good as the protagonist. She really shines. And they really made the Predator seem like a larger-than-life threat, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, they made us believe that Amber Midthunder's Komachi warrior could take him on. Like, the movie yeah. spends time setting her up. She's, like, a highly skilled warrior. And uh, my only real complaint is that I wish I saw this in the fucking movies. <laughs> I wish I saw this in the theater. And also, I have a nitpick. I think the whole okay. thing should have been in Comanche. Because they keep... See, I like that. I like that feedback. Yeah, I feel they keep switching between Comanche and English in the movie. 
And then I'm like, wait a minute, like the French don't understand them when they're speaking English because they're still speaking Comanche, like technically still speaking Comanche. I'm like, they should have just kept it like that. They should have just kept the whole thing with everybody speaking their native tongues. Um, but that's like a nitpick, dude. Like it was fucking great. I really enjoyed it. What did you think? It was great. It was great. I had a, it was so much fun watching it because to your point, you know, at the end of the story that the girl's going to win, like no doubt, but you're super invested the entire time of just how she's going to do it. Because you mentioned she's a highly skilled warrior, but the whole setup to her character is that she's not. She has skills, but she's not strong enough. She's maybe not as accurate. She's not as skilled in hunting and tracking. She's there. The skills are there. They're just really raw. And I like that working with her brother, that duo tandem worked really well. And I think gave her sort of the arc to her character to learn the things that she was maybe a little more raw about and then tied together. Best character in the show was the dog or in the movie. 100%. Dog, dog won. 100. Stole the screen, honestly. You if know that that was a rescue? You know what the Oscars need? They need a category for best pet actor. <laughs> Dude, John, I don't know about you, but like when this movie started for a while, I was just like, if this dog fucking dies, I swear to God. <laughs> Same. Same. <laughs> I, was I was like, like they can't kill this thing. Don't kill the dog. Please don't kill the dog. He's Spoiler be alert. the third highest billed actor in this movie. Sp- yeah, spoiler alert, the dog does not die. If you're scared the dog is going to die, he doesn't die, watch the movie, it's worth it. You know that there's a website, John, called, like, Does the Dog Die? <laughs> and it will spoiler-free tell you, like, hey, don't worry about it. Dog makes it. So you don't I have mean, to watch the movie with that anxiety, you know? That's a great thing that exists because I know a lot of people that when an animal dies in a movie, they just have a rough time watching it. That's very traumatic for them. They walk out, they leave. So I love that. I cried we like should a baby have more Marley sites and like me. that. Marley and me? Never <laughs> yeah. saw it. Really? Nah. That's all right. Not for me. Marley's not That's for fine. me. No. I love, I love Marley. <laughs> <laughs> She's not for me, man. And, uh, so it's been kind of a quiet time on the streams. It's been a long time without a Marvel show. It's been a long time with really without too much new going on. Uh, but we did this morning, last night, if you stayed up, get a new Marvel edition She-Hulk. It's out. Oh, yeah. It's there. Oh, yeah. What are She-Hulk, you thinking? Let Attorney at Law is out. So uh, we're recording this on a Friday morning. It came out last night, Thursday, Thursday night. Yeah. Uh, or Thursday during the, I don't know, whenever Disney Plus uploads it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, whenever, dude. It just showed up, man. Vibes. It just shows up. Shows like, ah, I'm here. Yeah, kind of like our podcast, like, drops on yeah. a Monday. Who knows yeah. what time? <laughs> <laughs> It'll be there, though. <laughs> um, I did watch the first episode, and uh, so far, I thought... It exceeded my expectations. I'll say that. I had very low expectations for this show. Um, especially, you know, like on film Twitter, people love to shit on these MCU shows. And even I do it sometimes for sure. Um, but there was like this quote from Jessica Gao, who is the showrunner on here. She was used to be a writer for 
Rick and Morty. She had like a podcast with Dan Harmon. Those are all great. Um, but apparently the original pitch of the show was that it would be like a multi-episode uh, span of a trial against the abomination. And uh, the quote that Jessica Gao, had, I don't have the, you know, the actual quote in front of me, but it's along the lines of, we very quickly realized that we could not write a rousing trial scene. And so everybody on Twitter was just like, why the fuck would you admit something like this <laughs> for your show called Attorney at Law? Attorney at Law, yeah. <laughs> but I did watch the first episode. They spend a lot of time doing exposition for how she became the Hulk. And I will say that the ending felt a little rushed when the show like feels like it remembers that it has to be in a loft in like a courtroom. That felt very rushed. But overall, I'm here for it. Tonally, it reminds me a lot of Rick and Morty. You know, like the show will do these very quick setups for a joke. Um, like there's a scene where She-Hulk walks out of a, a, a bar and you hear these guys coming out of the bar, and they're like, well, ladies' night was a bust. Let's go, boys. <laughs> <laughs> and shit like that sets the scenes very quickly, sets up those characters very quickly, and Rick and Morty is also very good at being, like, efficient in those kinds of setup, you know? And so I'm thinking that, like, it'll that'll be uh, an asset to the show. Like, they can basically put this silly character anywhere and set up a realistic scene very quickly. You know, so I'm excited. I'm excited to see where it goes. I think I came into it opposite where my expectations were a little bit higher because of the things you just mentioned. And so I walked out of it just kind of like, eh, you know. Okay. Um, okay. I mean, fair. I don't know. Like you said, the, the pacing was kind of a little bit distracting, to be honest. And so was when they would go, they would change shots because clearly the budget didn't cover enough of CGI Hulk. So they uh-huh. would just do like a little bit of him talking and then do the awkward cut where she would be standing there and you just see his arm. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, and you're yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they'll like, they'll do like an over the shoulder Hulk yeah. shot. And it's uh clearly like it's it was just Tatiana Maslani and they probably just put in Hulk's shoulder in front. You know, because yeah, the budget yeah. does not allow you can't have Mark Ruffalo walking around every single no. episode as a CG Hulk. That's crazy. But that's my thing. But that's my thing. Like, if you if you're gonna do it, do it. Yeah. Like, if you want the Hulk to be in it, make the Hulk be in it. Don't give us yeah. like the weird video game ish. Another headline I read was uh, Marvel actually went back to the writers and was like, "There's too much Hulk in this." I can see that. <laughs> I could see that happening too. Like, you have too much Mark Ruffalo, like because it's supposed to be about. She-Hulk, and that was kind of their feedback on some of the other shows too, right? Like, um, there wasn't enough of the hero. Like Moon Knight, there wasn't enough Moon Knight. Like Hawkeye, yeah. we didn't really get a lot of Hawkeye. Like, so but the, I can, yeah, I can but see these where shows, you know, like are clearly made to set up the next branch of Marvel heroes, and like, like they're like, so you have to have. It's very clear that they're following a formula. Where, like, the previous Avenger is, like, passing the baton, almost, yeah, to, to this the new, new one. person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know? And, it, and the, it's, like, that's happening here, clearly. Um, I will say, and this is, like, the Marvel nerd in me, 
and and this is I I'll be totally upfront and say that like I'm completely biased when it comes to MCU stuff, and I'm willing to give the sh- to let the show get away with a little bit more just because I'm like a super fan. I really enjoyed that the Hulk was talking about his relationship with Tony in this show, mm-hmm. and like getting a little bit more getting more into the like Mark Ruffalo's Hulk's head, like Bruce Banner's head, yeah. when he's yeah. like. Yeah, one time I was stuck as the other guy for two years in space. And, like, Man. the sentence sounds so ridiculous. It's nice that, like, Tatiana Maslany's character is there to play the audience and be like, that's fucking crazy, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's insanity. Yeah. yeah. How long did it take for you to get to Smart Hulk? Ten years? She's like, ten years? I don't have ten yeah. years. I like <laughs> yeah. that kind of stuff because, like, it's clearly making fun of and uh, moving past the MCU shit that we've already seen. Like, the craziness yeah. of what it's like being a And they show. threw the Steve Rogers as a version thing in there. It was a long play for that joke. But all the, the only, the last thing I'll say is I was a little bit surprised because I read so much about how the creators of the show, like, very uh, women-heavy in the creator, creating of the show was about, like, showing the woman side of being a superhero oh, yeah. and the different kind of, uh, things that you may deal with. I was surprised that the She-Hulk uh, was essentially just the Barbie version of Hulk, right? Like the when she's herself, she's like curly hair, very small, petite person, and then when she becomes She-Hulk, yeah. her her breasts get huge. They're like yeah, she becomes ginormous. a babe. She's she's Jack. She has the tiniest waist. She, her hair goes from curly to yeah, straight. Yeah, why did they make her curly? So why was, did they make her hair straight? I was a little bit, like, not concerned, but I was just a little surprised that, you know, in this age, and all of this talk about, you know, with the Victoria's Secret getting shut down and, like, really trying to empower women and that. Did you watch that show, by the way? Wild. Crazy. Um, it was I was so just surprised good. that they went for, like, Babe Barbie Hulk instead of maybe what a really jacked person would look like. You know? Uh-huh. I agree. But so. I you know, I will and the show does say like uh uh um women live with anger and fear every single day, right? And I'm glad and I actually really enjoyed that that was the explanation for why she can just flip the switch and you know like yeah. not like the Hulk can, but like her Hulk can, you know? I, I really yeah. like that. I was like, hell yeah, th- this is what this show should be about. <laughs> and I hope it does kind of lean into that a little bit more. I'm worried going forward that it will try to justify attorney at law, you know? Uh, but like, I worry that I just don't want the jokes to make the show a joke, if that makes sense. And yeah. speaking of jokes, the movie we're talking about today. Was it a comedy? Was it an action? A lot of jokes. Should we get into it? A lot it? of jokes. Let's get into Bullet the movie. Train. Bullet Train. Sean, um, do you have your ticket? ticket Let me see what? your ticket, sir. 
Take it to ride. <laughs> you take it for the bullet train, John. If you don't uh, have your ticket, I'm going to have to ask you to get off at the next stop. Um, or else. It's this crazy thing. I am like the unluckiest person ever. I think I dropped that and the keys to open this random locker. Oh, shit. Honestly, so, yeah. Damn. Sorry. That's bullet okay. Train, do you have the receipt? <laughs> oh, I do have the receipt. Yeah, it shows. It proves that I bought the ticket. I just okay, cool. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bullet train. Brad Pitt, huh? Yeah. He's this guy named Ladybug. Uh, an unlucky ass. <laughs> the end of the I, line. Did <laughs> you just add that? <laughs> I, meant, I don't know why I didn't finish the word. It should say assassin. <laughs> I don't think wow. I did that. <laughs> I copy and pasted that. That's I don't think the I did movie that. review from Rotten Tomatoes. Just an unlucky ass, huh? <laughs> well, he's an he's an assassin. Ass. He's no longer an ass. He's kind of found himself um, in calming and spirituality. He's uh, trying to change. I don't think he's an assassin either. He's a snatch and grab guy. Anyway, the end of the line is the only the beginning. Wait, in a this wild, is like all this is all messed up. This is all messed up. No, he's fine. It's uh, He's determined to do his job peacefully after one too many gigs have gone off the rails. Fate, however, may have other plans as Ladybug's latest mission puts him on a collision course with leaf, lethal adversaries from around the globe, all with connected yet conflicting objectives on the world's fastest train. From director of Deadpool Tool, <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Yeah, it's in modern day Japan. So, oh, okay, I figured out what happened. Okay, there we go. Yeah, from yeah, the director yeah. of Deadpool Two, David Leach, the end of the line is only the beginning in a wild nonstop thrill ride through modern day Japan. Should we just read that over? Boom. No, let's keep it. Fuck it. You know why? Fuck because the, hey. the movie is it's a little bit choppy too. You know, and that yeah, I think you know fits. exactly. Just what, like what happened in our summary paragraph right there. You know, we accidentally yeah. put one part of the like a piece of that sentence in the beginning chopped it up yeah. it's, it's a non-linear both summary and it's a non-linear movie <laughs> it's an experience and you're along with it for the ride you were like i don't really know where they're going with this but i'm gonna keep on going with it like it's uh-huh. cool it's chill it's whatever it's spiritual namaste yeah you know this movie isn't about the destination it's about the journey right yeah, you know. that's about how you get there. Yeah, exactly, sure, exactly. Sure. So, John, so, what were your first thoughts? Um, well, do we want to talk about the director of this movie for a sec? I mean, I'm sure we will. David Leach, right? You know, like that kind of goes into my. I knew he was the director, okay. and I was thinking like, okay, so Deadpool two co-directed yeah. John Wick. You know, yeah. uh, he he's 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 a stuntman. He's been around. For a long time, just turned into you know a director. Brad Pitt's stuntman. I know. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Crazy. 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 And now I mean, he's the guy is what a... to do. <laughs> Ain't exactly. that a dream, huh? Uh huh. That's got to be crazy for Brad Pitt. Like, yeah. this is the guy, and now he's like directing that movie. That's pretty wild. But yeah, he directed, yeah. co-directed John Wick one, directed John Wick two, did Deadpool two. I think he did Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw. He for sure well. did. Great movie. 
So this yeah. guy, he, he makes action movies. And he, I think he makes very different types of action movies than a lot of people think of. Like, I feel, I feel that when people think of action movie, they think of Red Notice or Expendables. And this is a little bit different. I think they There's think a different like style. There's a different nuance to it. What's up? I said, I think that they think like John Wick as well. You okay. know, like when you ask people nowadays, like, what's your favorite action movie? Um, the layman might John be like Wick. John Wick. John Wick is cool. the layman. I think. <laughs> yeah. The idiot might say John Wick. No, like your average guy. Like your yeah, average guy loves bleep. John Wick. Or the Fast and Furious. On the streets licking up puddles. Yeah. That's us, baby. That's me. Yeah, that's us. I yeah. don't think I'm better than anyone. I like puddles. I don't care. They're good. I don't care. Yeah. Um, my first thoughts. I'll I'll stick my toes in the gutter, you know? I'm a <laughs> yeah, man of the not, streets. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, if if you can do it, I can do it. That's how I look at it, you know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh my first thoughts. So I mean, we already talked about my first thoughts. I was incredibly nervous walking to the movie theater because I thought some guy was gonna be hawking loogies down my neck the whole time. But um the You're last like, two movies again. I saw. <laughs> the last two movies I saw um, that look like this, right? Where it's like in a confined space. The whole movie takes place in a singular kind of destination. Bottle episode or, almost thing. Yeah, where Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile, which were essentially the same movie together and overwhelmingly underwhelming. Like they both had star power. They both had promise of a great whodunit plot, which if you've been listening to us for, for a minute, you know, I'm a sucker for, but they both fell incredibly flat. It was insane. I, so I was, I was skeptical because I mean, would you call this an ensemble cast in this movie? I mean, I, I I guess it's more, it might be more of like cameos, a cameo cast. (laughs) Okay. So yeah, like big cameo cast. Uh, I'll call it an ensemble cast, but like I guess yeah. Another thing. When was the last time you saw a good movie with an ensemble cast or like a ton of cameos like this? I can't really think. Like the first one that comes to mind is probably Knives Out. I was gonna like, say had, like, three in twenty twelve. <laughs> yeah, I mean the like when I think ensemble cast movies that come to mind are like the Oceans trilogy. Oh, you know, okay. or stuff like that, where it's yeah, like, oh, these are some ago, big name actors. Right? Oh, I guess the Marvel movies are an ensemble cast. Yeah, okay, those are good. But I was thinking Red Notice, Gray Man, kind of, I was like, oh, we're not doing so well with these action movies and huge names. Uh, so I was nervous. Uh, but I, I, I was hoping that the chemistry, the characters, and the writing would sort of let these characters go. Because Brad Pitt has a nice charm to him, you know? He's a charming lad. I can't help but think that, like, maybe um, the thing we're talking about is, like, an ensemble cast in an original IP, you know? Like, non-franchised thing. Yeah. Uh, Well, do you you think this won't be franchised? Bro, tell me that they're not going to turn around and make a Lemon and Tangerine prequel movie to this. They for sure are. Right, and if they don't do that, they'd be dumb. 
But anyways, I mean, I remember watching the trailer to this movie and thinking like, oh, this is a direct consequence of John Wick, of like the success of John Wick. And it's kind of yeah. like it's it's kind of trendy in John Wick too. They like set things in Japan. Like Japan seems like a cool place to set like a noir esque spy yeah. action thriller movie because there's yeah. neon lights. You know, like there's a lot of opportunity for like w- like cool lit action sequences. So like from the trailer, so you see that, and I think that yeah, so lit, bro. Like, dude, so lit. Uh, <laughs> and I thought that it was going to be, like, a Guy Ritchie-esque action movie, but, you know, starring, like, Brad fucking Pitt, along with, like, a host of quirky characters that all have, like, very different personalities. Um, and all of that sounds well and good, but, like, when I saw the trailer, I wouldn't have gone to see this movie on a Thursday afternoon if it wasn't you and I being, like, Oh, we have to go do this for the podcast. Like hey, I would have waited got to see to this. Do this. We got to do this. We have to do this. That's why I tell people. I'm like, oh, I can't. I, I have. I have to do this. I have to go see Bullet Train at twelve yeah. fifteen p.m. on a Thursday morning. I have to get Sorry. on the train an hour Look. ahead of time so that Look, I can Mom, stop at I the Chick Fil A before Bullet Train. <laughs> no, you're dying. Okay, I know you only have a couple more minutes to live, but it's your bullet train, okay? And I have to do it. The pod is important, okay? Mom, so, I've told you so many up. times, my priorities for this week include watching bullet train. <laughs> Get over it. Mom, it's only going to be on the silver screen once. Yeah. <laughs> I'm never going to see... <laughs> I'm never going to see a movie of this caliber at the AMC Block 37 at 12.15 p.m. on a Thursday afternoon. I'm never going to do that again. I promise I will, you know, clean my room when I get home. But look, Mom, I'm 30, okay? <laughs> I'm 30. I'm allowed to go. I'm allowed to yeah. go. See this movie in the middle of it? Don't. I have an interview <laughs> set up later this week, okay, Mom? It's bullet train time, okay? This mom, podcast is taking off man. to the moon, Mom. <laughs> okay? Well, I'm a grown-ass man, and I'm going to go see Bullet Train starring Brad Pitt, uh, Brian Tyree Henry, and Aaron Taylor Johnson at 12 p.m. on a Thursday afternoon, Mom. What do you mean you don't know who they are? (laughs) And I have $20 for the ticket. Your mom mom would be like, yeah, that's not an ensemble cast, honey. (laughs) Call me when George Clooney's in it, too. And then you come back, you're like, Mom? Ryan Reynolds was in this movie. Channing Tatum was in this movie. Sandra Bullock was in this movie. That's an ensemble cast, baby. Zazie Beats, the dude Zazie from Heroes. Beats. Yeah, Hiroyuka Sonata, the legendary samurai. Hiroyuka Sonata yeah. was in this movie, and he yeah. held a sword, and he pulled it out of its sheath really slowly. Yeah, and then he put it back in really slow. But, like, not before he, like, I loved when he, like... Wiped the blood off? Wh- whips the blood out and it lands on Brad Pitt's shoes. He's like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get into this movie. Let's get into the movie. Okay, yeah, let's that. get into the movie. Let's dive in. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. So, uh, should, do you, should I read? I'll read the real rundown this time. I feel like you did it last time. Did I? I don't know. I think so. Let's do it. I think so. Okay, okay. You got it. Here we go. 
Real rundown. Kimura. Andrew Koji is looking over his severely damaged son. That's a weird way of phrasing that, John. Who was pushed off the side of a building while the elder, Kimura's father, he played by the legendary hero Yuki Sonata, pretty much shits on Kimura for being a bad dad and allowing his son to fall off a roof. Um, Kimura decides that he's going to avenge his son by killing the attacker because apparently somebody pushed him. Yeah, uh, yeah Ladybug pushes severely damaged son. <laughs> Ladybug, played by Brad Pitt, the self-proclaimed most unlucky assassin in the game is back in action after some time off where he's found a new outlook on life from seeing his therapist, Brad, what was the name of his there? Brian? I forget. It was a B name. He's a pacifist now, preferring to talk his way out of conflict instead of fighting. Spoiler, it does not go as planned. So, we find him subbing today on an easy catch and grab job because, quote, Carver is under the weather. His handler explains to him that the job is easy. Get on the train, grab the suitcase, and get off at the next stop. However, on the train, Tangerine, played by Aaron Taylor Johnson, and Thomas the Tank Engine Historian and Superfan Lemon, played by Brian Tyree Henry, are on a job to deliver two things to the White Death. His son, unharmed, and a suitcase full of money. Because, well, duh. Duh. There needs to be a suitcase full of money. Things go awry when Ladybug nabs a suitcase and Lemon and Tangerine realize that they've lost it. The White Death requires proof that they still have the suitcase and the hunt is on. And our plot moves forward like a train on its tracks. Ah. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, Kimura finds the attacker of his son because he got a text telling him exactly where they were going to be. <laughs> the nice. prince. Joey King is there, who also happens to be on the train and is immediately incapacitated by her because she's a seemingly small woman. And, you know, how could a woman hurt anybody? The prince blackmails Kimura into helping her kill the White Death in order to save his son. Lemon and Tangerine return from searching for the case slash arguing with each other, only to find that the White Death's son is now dead. <laughs> he was sitting there and now he's dead. There's blood pouring out of his eyes uh and then the wolf played by bad bunny also shows up on the train we get his tragic backstory where his wedding all and all of the guests there including his wife were all poisoned in a similar fashion and he uh makes it onto the train just in time to stop ladybug from getting off with the suitcase he attacks ladybug who with his you know bad or good luck depending on the way you look at it accidentally kills the wolf tangerine and lemon their mission half failed go continue hunting for the suitcase while trying now to uncover who also killed the white death now they're kind of freaking out because they're like the white death is going to fucking murder us because we have failed the mission so ladybug meanwhile his luck continues as kimura is accidentally killed lemon is also accidentally killed tangerine is killed the hornet played by zazzy beats also killed and identified <laughs> as the person who killed the uh, White Death's son. And wouldn't you know it, Ladybug is still stuck on the train. At this point, Ladybug is like just a lackadaisical guy. Just like, God, just get me off this fucking thing. It's great. Um, so all that's left is Ladybug and Prince. And uh, since Ladybug has no idea that Prince is actually the big bad, he's tricked onto st into staying on the train with the Prince until the last stop to face the White Death. Uh, at the last, at the second to last stop, the elder, 
you know, the dad's dad from the beginning of the movie, played by the legendary uh, Hiroyuka Sonata, makes it on the train as well, <laughs> uh, confronts the prince while also giving the ladybug, like, exposition on bad luck being interpreted as fate. It turns out that Lemon at this point is actually alive, and so is Kimura, and it's time to face off against the big bad guy who has remained faceless, and we now learn that it is Michael Shannon, which is awesome. All right, come yeah. on. Uh, we learn from Michael Shannon why all these assassins are on the train at the same time, and it's because of the White Death's wife, who has been killed by a series of unfortunate events that unfolded from the actions of all of the killers that are on the train at this moment, including his son. Um, unfortunately, Ladybug's luck has run, has got the best of him once again because the wife's the White Death's wife was actually assassinated by Carver, the guy who no. he is subbing for this day, who is revealed to be none other than Ryan Reynolds in another um, cameo. We learn now that the prince is actually the White Death's daughter, and he's deter- and she is determined to kill him because she didn't receive enough attention from him or something. Yeah. Sure. The bullet train is now taken off at full speed with no signs of stopping. A huge battle ensues where Lemon ends up saving Ladybug's life by tackling some guy out of the train, falling hundreds of feet into the water out of a moving vehicle, a very fast-moving vehicle, and the train continues until it careens into a small town. However, somehow, Ladybug, Kimura, and the Elder, and the White Death all walk out of there completely fine because of their incredible plot armor and bad slash good luck depending on how you look at it the white death now stands in front of ladybug he monologues he's holding the gun he shoots it but it has been rigged by the prince and it blows up in his face killing him the surviving three start heading out of the town when the prince who was absent the whole battle scene shows up holding a tommy gun she's frantic she's about to kill our three heroes until she is hit by a tangerine truck that is now Ah. being driven by Lemon. Ladybug's handler, who shows up at the end of the movie and is uh, Sandra fucking Bullock. Nice. Picks up Ladybug. They're about to get in her car when uh, Pole falls straight onto it. And Brad Pitt makes a quip about it being luck. Yeah. And, and then they, they walk away into the Classic sunset. action. Victorious. Japanese police, nowhere to be seen. Absent. Yeah, no police at all in general. Which was uh, yeah, which is crazy. So uh, let's get There's into it. There's dead bodies little... all over that plane, I, 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 that train. I don't know about you, but like at the end of the movie, I kept thinking like, so when they look over this wreckage, they're gonna find people that have been killed by the missing bow 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 fang snake, whatever. The bofma. The I don't know what it was called. The boof. The bofma. <laughs> bofma snakes in your face. Oh oh. Nice. Uh, is that the cousin of the Ligma snake? Yeah. <laughs> chill, bro. Whoa, I didn't, I didn't realize you're so chill, bro. <laughs> and the Sugma lizard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're just gonna see like all these bodies and shit. It's crazy. Yeah. So let's uh, let's talk a little uh, plot. You know, critics, right? Let's talk a little plot, little narrative, pacing. Characters, Let's do dialogue. It. Let's do it, man. 
Let's just get into it, John. You know what, John? Hey, listen, John. Let's just get into it. Okay. Did this give you right off the bat? Did this give you video game vibes? It like yeah, I got very similar vibes. I but I was thinking animated movie, kind of. You know, I think like if they had made this into like uh like an anime, like if this had been like like in the style of uh Naruto or any one of these fucking. Anyways, like it could have been cool. Oh, don't pretend like you don't know them all. That you was know, nice though. Naruto. <laughs> you know animes. Dragon Ball yeah. Z. Digimon. Yeah. Yeah. Digimon. We're naming like the most popular ones. Like actual anime people who listen to the podcast are like these fucking idiots on a shit about Yep. That was them. That was them talking yeah. to us about our anime uh <laughs> they, they hacked us. Um, yeah, I have a, a soundboard now, guys, and I want to apologize in advance for all the stupid things that I'm going to put on this thing. What? Um... I'm talking fart noises. I'm talking. <laughs> uh, I'm talking that disappointing sound. I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> so we, I feel like this movie does. Uh, it's interesting. I think it, I kind of enjoy it, but like right off the bat, you're just like bang, 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 bang. You meet all the characters you really need to be like right yeah. off the bat. Yeah. When you were, when you met the Elder, Kaimura, Ladybug, Lemon, Tangerine, all within 10 minutes, did it feel overwhelming that you had to just meet a bunch of people? Did it make sense? Were, did you kind of see where things were going? How'd you feel? Honestly, I didn't feel like it was overwhelming, but, okay. um, I can see, I can see the argument to where you're like, oh, it's a little disjointed until like we finish meeting all the characters. Um, but I didn't feel underwhelmed. I actually thought it was strange though that the first ones we meet are the elder and the father. You know, I feel like, yeah. uh, although now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know exactly when else you would shoehorn them in because they needed to come back at the end. Yeah, I but, remember... but that's the problem. They felt shoehorned. Yeah, I remember thinking they should have flipped it somehow where the grandfather was feeling more of the the beef or the tension as opposed to the father. Because it was really the grandfather's fight. Like he knew where the whole thing was going the whole time. So I wonder yeah. I think if they had flipped that, maybe it would have been a little bit less disjointed. Um right off Just the bat. Felt like I Kimura's story felt a little weak. You know, it did. It didn't feel like one that. Well, I think it, the problem is that Kimura himself, the father, didn't have much of a personality and didn't have much agency in the movie at all. He was just kind of a no. two-dimensional character. But the and then the movie turned around and then spent a lot more time with like Brad Pitt's character with Lemon and Tangerine. So you feel more connected to those guys than you do with Kimura and the elder. Even though, like, ultimately, that's what the movie wants to end on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the beginning, it kind of starts with them and then ends with that. But um, so I really enjoyed the character setup of a thief that has now found his moral compass through spiritual guidance. For Um, sure. I thought was amazing. You mean an assassin? I I think that's incredible. You know, like the fact that. I mean, I don't know if he actually wasn't, but. 
I think yeah. I think they're all they're all like hired hands yeah. or something. They're all like we'll sure. do whatever we need to do to get the job done kind of people. Uh like cuz Brad Pitt's character is unfazed completely by guns, knives, like he's never he throws them all movie, out scared. all the guns. Yeah. yeah. He just throws them out, which is hilarious. Yeah. I love that and I love that the entire movie essentially hinged on the character trait of Ladybug of Brad Pitt. Yeah. Brad Pitt was like, I'm a really unlucky guy. And then the rest of the movie just decided, okay, everything that happens in this movie is going to be based on luck. We'll see if it happens. Yeah. Even to when the credit, like the title screen came and it was a slot machine. I thought that was great. I, I like that too, actually. Because um, there's something fun about playing with story like that in the sense that, like, we're so used to film having like set up and payoff and when you leave yeah. things like that up to chance like up to like the characters are just dumb and shit is just happening i yeah. i don't know there's something charming about that kind of storytelling i think and you find that kind of stuff in like um like in the nice guys is is a, is, a, is another example i fucking love that movie i'm so sorry <laughs> I know, Holy I know. Cow. Also, Brad Pitt was basically playing uh, the character from the like Ryan Gosling's character from the Nice Guys. They're both like these like lackadaisical, just kind of like whimsy, whimsical guys, you know, who believe in luck and shit. But anyways, and then we meet the Nice Guys so all day. <laughs> we meet uh, Lemon and Tangerine, who I thought were a great duo. Love that. I from meeting them 30 seconds in I was deeply invested in them as a duo for sure yeah. and I had not watched Thomas the Tank Engine but I feel like I should go back and watch <laughs> it because I missed out on what seems to be an incredible amount of life advice and just teachings Who knew? and stories yeah I mean Who knew? if if anyone listens to Thomas the Tank Engine, like let us know your favorite episode. I will, I'll be there. I'll break it. I down. love it. Um, so we we meet them, but then I... this is also when the movie starts to do this thing. I wanted to get your thoughts on, where because in in times before we've kind of trashed this for happening, but what this movie starts to do when we meet Lemon and Tangerine is this like kind of breaking the fourth wall ish, but. Anytime there is a joke or a quip or an item or a new character, we get a flashback that introduces it, and it's about two minutes. How did you did yeah. that feel distracting or boring? Yeah, I don't like that. You didn't I don't like, like it? that? No, but I'm kind of wrestling with it a little bit because I'm like, I'm thinking like, oh, I don't really like the way that they just stop the movie and like go to Bad Bunny for like three minutes and then come back um but at the same time it feels very like tarantino-esque you know and a lot of this movie feels kind of tarantino-esque in like the quippy dialogue the uh the way it's like non-linear um i didn't think about this until afterwards but it did remind it does remind me of that and it's it's fine it's fine honestly like i could say like eh, it's kind of lame but it's fine. It didn't. It didn't take away from the movie. And it's like also I was thinking like, how else are you gonna do it when you have all you're juggling all these characters? You know, it's and it's not like they're like specifically interconnected. It worked really well with Lemon and Tangerine though. It did. You know, it did. because they kind of like 
their dialogue kind of set that up. It was almost like Family Guy esque, where they're like, "Well, you know what happened in Bolivia," and then it'll cut to Bolivia, and, and you'll see them just like, and it's probably only like twenty seconds of them in Bolivia, but it's enough to where you're like, "Oh, so these guys have been together for a long time." You know, they've they've done many jobs together. We know what they do. And uh, it doesn't feel as shoehorned in as like, stop, pause, bad bunny. He's a child. He starts working for this com- this cartel. He f- falls in love with this woman. Everybody dies. Cut back. That's who this character is now. You know, like it doesn't feel as like, like to the point. Bam, 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 bam. Like very quick character setup. Um, and instead, like, Lemon and Tangerines is more of an implied relationship, and it uses those flashbacks to, like, give us further character development instead of just completely, like, yo, this is the trope of this character, you know? And I, I even think, and we didn't even get that with all of them. Like, Zazie Beats, this character doesn't get it. We just know that she, she's... We got hers from implied also through the Wolf's flashback another yeah. time and then her as the costume mascot yeah like, so it, it it did the flashbacks or the cutscenes of moving plot but some occasionally See, those, but also like in the wolf's place yeah. which i guess did move plot right like you had to know that they were there which then brings them all into one place but yeah um but it wasn't around, as it didn't feel as seamless as it did for lit like literally every other character like even the prince's we don't get her backstory until it's revealed to us at the very end. At the very end, yeah. We don't you know, get that which works really well. Yeah, it gets paid, it gets paid off. Meanwhile, the bad bad bunnies is just like, let's stop the movie real quick. This is who this guy is. Okay, let's keep going. You know, I would prefer. I like the the flashback thing over having the cheesy dialogue during the action fight um, of explaining what's going on. So. In the action fight, this yeah. was sort of our first action sequence with the wolf. How'd you feel about it? Like our first introduction to the type of action in the movie. What did you feel? Corey I thought it was fine. Was. I thought it was good. I actually, I really enjoyed that. Like it looked like Brad Pitt did a lot of it, you know, and yeah. it wasn't, it didn't feel too choppy. I, I was, I was cool with it. The choreography was cool. The fact that like they managed to make Brad Pitt look like he's like doesn't want to be involved <laughs> like his choreography is very much like just dodging you know and uh i thought it was well done i thought it was well done i really i thought so, it was way better shot than the gray man you could actually see everything oh that's happening. yeah you could see it you know? yeah i really enjoyed it like for it being phone booth style i thought it was pretty fun um i thought they were really creative yeah. as you said with how what elements of the trainer being used and how they're happening yeah and it was still quick and because it was small, compact space, quick things happening, I was pleasantly surprised that you could actually see what was happening. Yeah, I thought it like, was really, was I thought it was pretty well done. And I mean, it makes yeah. sense, you know, like David Leach has been, he's not a stranger to stunts and well choreographed fight scenes and using an, an actor in those scenes. So um, overall, I thought they were, I thought they were good. I thought they were pretty good. I was engaged. So we're about like, we're kind of halfway two thirds into the movie at this point, which seems wild that that's when the the wolf is introduced kind of and everyone sort of dies. Um, let me get a pulse on how you're feeling about the plot, the pacing, how everything's coming together, how the characters are interacting with each other. Yeah. 
I mean, at this point, I'm I'm engaged. I'm into it. Um, it, it's it's you know, like we're 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 at the rising we're rising action, baby, and and I'm here for it. You know, and I'm ready. I'm ready to have a little fun. Let's see where this goes. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely <laughs> and then where... fucking Channing Tatum shows up. Yeah, that was the cameos are a bit strange, but this is definitely where my brain just checked out. I was like, all right, well. We don't really have a plot anymore, right? Because at this point, we've learned that Kaimura's son is being held by the prince. And then he, like, kind of dies or kicks a phone away and dies. And then, like, nothing really, we don't really, like, learn about it. So I'm like, okay. And then the plot sort of shifts into the what the white guy. Yeah. And I mean, like, <laughs> the, the white, white death, death at the yeah. same time. And so you're like, all right. So then my, but I was like, all right, this is still fun. Um, I guess you're right. I, I'm going to go I along with the ride. I'm going to see what happens. And I think they did a good job again. Lemon and Tangerine did so much lifting in this movie. It was oh, incredible. For sure. When Lemon died the first time, or didn't die but died, I I was pretty bummed, honestly. I and was when too. Tangerine, when Tangerine died like two minutes later, I was devastated. I yeah. was so sad. And I think that's a testament of a great character when I the agree. audience feels something. And and um, it's it's a testament also to how when you have good character, you can get away with uh, kind of bad plot, <laughs> bad plot. You know, like I wasn't thinking about like, wait a minute, why is uh, the prince? Because Kimura's like, why did you do that to my son? And the prince is like, it was the only way to get you on the train. I was like. You, really there has to be other ways to get the guy on the train right like it, it all there's stretches there it's the movie's really asking you to like stretch and not really think about that and it does a good job of distracting you enough to where you don't think about the ridiculousness of the plot sometimes you know uh which is fine you know like and even the exposition of the snake being loose on the tv you know yeah. like uh, whatever. I overlooked it, even though I knew it was like, okay, clearly that snake is going to be on the fucking train now. You know? like it's Yeah. Funny. And then it was snakes on a train. I thought that's sort of what they were making a play on snakes on a plane. And then the yeah. snake didn't really do anything <laughs> because Brad Pitt had the antidote. So. Yeah. Yeah. Once again, luck wins in this movie. So. Um, kinda, can I ask you something, that, John? How, how are you yeah. feeling right now about like it seems like more and more movies are relying on like quick witty dialogue you know and like how do you feel about it in this film and are you oversaturated yet i wonder if that comes from people's attention spans being a lot quicker and only being able to focus on when someone's talking for short amounts of time i don't i think gone are the days of long monologues between people like the game of thrones early game of thrones type conversation where it's just so heavy in dialogue and there's so much important plot that's in the dialogue that movies like this are more popular with audiences because it's quick i can understand what you're saying i laughed once or twice and it keeps moving we're, we're um, just going. so yeah i think i think it's something that's going to stick with audiences and continue to to be like this I don't think it's oversaturated yet. Sometimes I feel like I'm being talked to as a kid 
but I didn't. I don't think this movie did a bad job of it. I think Red Notice did a bad job of what this. Yeah. Of what. Yeah. It can be and what it can look like. Absolutely, I agree, and I think that it's also like um, those like quick quips are like a shortcut to like escapism. It's like easier for us to escape into that kind of dialogue than it is to ask somebody like, hey, give me five minutes of your time. I'm going to monologue at you for five minutes, you know, and and, like dinner with Andre can do it. But like you can't I don't know if the modern audience wants to see a movie like that, you know. Yeah. yeah. But I, I just kept thinking that like watching watching this movie, I kept thinking it seems like all of these movies are, it seems like every movie is doing this nowadays and it's kind of getting old for me. Like, like after Tarantino and, and Shane Black movies come out, like Edgar Wright also is guilty of shit like this, where it's just like very quick. There's a joke, like every two to three lines, you know, and then we just move on to action and that's fine. But it's like, sometimes I want to hear, I do want to hear like a Perry Mason court scene. Like boring, dry, but also like heavy and smart dialogue. Like sometimes I just want to hear them take their fucking time. Um, which is actually kind of like why I really like Prey. Cause it's on the other end of the coin where it's like, we don't really need a lot of dialogue to have a character focused story. Um, I don't know. I just kept thinking that like it just seems like uh, a consequence of the MCU taking over the blockbuster sphere you know and like tarantino as well and guy ritchie who's like another really prominent action movie director and you can see all of those influences in this film which is interesting but um i yeah but yeah let's let's should we just that get sounded to the final like your thoughts? final let's thoughts get... there <laughs> do you yeah. want to go to the final thoughts i mean we talked about it right like in your final thoughts a little bit, how did you feel? How did it tie together? How did you, like, walking out of the theater? So, like, honestly, this was a fun movie. And I am and I was surprised that it landed as well as it did with me. Um, Brad Pitt is great here. And uh, so are Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry, which I wasn't expecting them to be as prominent in this movie were. But they were surprisingly, like, tragic and wholesome characters. Um, which I really enjoyed. My main critique is how the movie felt like it needed to stop and set up characters when they showed up. Mostly just Bad Bunny, like it, like the movie screeches to a halt at some time, at some points, and then keeps going. Um, and it's not that I like dislike nonlinear storytelling, like I like I said earlier. Like it's just that it makes it feel a little disjointed sometimes. But I will say, like once the characters were all set up. And the movie was moving forward at a more comfortable pace. I literally, I turned my brain off and I enjoyed it. You know, like I wasn't thinking about the shortcomings of the plot, which there are, there are, while I was watching it. I was like, this is just fun, basic action movie escapism. It was solid. I enjoyed it. I had a good time. You know, like if this yeah, was playing on TNT, I would leave it on. And fold your clothes, clean the house. I had a great time. <laughs> Um, exactly. The, then. the main trio, trio though, lady, like you just said, like so well written. I was so invested in them and succeeding or making it to the end. I was very sad when I thought Lemon died, as I mentioned. Devastated when Tangerine died, and then 
almost cried when, you know, they had that saying goodbye scene, you know, when Lemon was, yeah, he found the diesel. He found the diesel. He found the diesel. Um, I love, okay, I love that he used the sticker to identify him. Like, posthumously used the sticker. I love that shit. They were done very well. Like, the fact that they called them the twins, and you were like, what? Why do they call them the twins? And then, like, you have that flashback of them as children together. And I was like, this is fucking great. This is great. These two, make a prequel. Make us a prequel. I didn't think the uselessness of the prince took away from the fun uh, that I was having watching this event. Uh, Even, like, whatever. Most useless bad guy of all time. Or, like, most useless plot mover (laughs) of all time was the prince. Um, And I kind of, overall, I just guess my final thoughts. I found Bullet Train to be pretty symbolic of the movie itself. Like, a bullet train. We were on a fast track, zipping through, forced to be present most of the time because everything on the outside was just blurry and didn't really matter. And sometimes we'd stop, but it was only for a minute. And then we would just keep on moving until we wow. crashed at the end. Wow. Yeah. That was it, man. But until that's we what, crash at the end. Know, <laughs> that's kind of what uh, what we think. Let's see what the, the critics and audience have to say. Let's go. Ready? I'm ready. Yeah, tell me what the critics. So, um, <laughs> this first one from Screen Hub, uh, with its colorful but two-dimensional cast and constant flashbacks, alongside shock reveals, this surprisingly talky film comes off as a salute to Guy Ritchie and Tarantino imitators, only with a more flamboyant approach to murder. Three out of five. Pretty accurate, right? Yeah. Did you think that um, it was like grotesque? Like, there was a lot no. of blood in this? No. But a lot of people did. Don't want to really? spoil Really? Okay. Uh, this next one, I just like the name of the review. Uh, Fat Guys at the Movies. I love it. Hey, you know, that's relatable. When I think of who do I want to be at a movie, or who enjoys a movie the most, or what is a fat guy at the movie, I want to know more. Um... They say, it's like Quentin Tarantino and Guy Ritchie had a baby and raised it on Pop Rocks and hyperkinetic <laughs> anime. Two and a half out of four. Pop Rocks. I Pops. love that. Pure, escapism. It's pure escapism at its finest with no message or lesson at its core. Uh, I'm not so sure about that. Thomas the Tank Engine taught us a lot. especially Also, also it's that luck is actually like up to perception. Yeah. you know, It's fate, baby. Yeah. Um, and then your guy... R.I.P. Pour one out. RogerEbert.com. He's not alive, but he has a list. A technically and logistically ambitious movie that doesn't leave much of an emotional or intellectual footprint. Which is the fancy way to say exactly what Vox just said. And they gave it a 2 and a 5. 2.5. But that's the thing. It's like, that's why people started to go to the movies in the first place. Yeah. To get out of there. Escape. It was like during the Great Depression <laughs> where you have nothing else, but you could pay a nickel to go to the goddamn movies and literally escape the real world, escape your poverty for an hour, probably like three hours. I don't know how long. Movies were fucking forever long back then. Um, 
but that's what win, the right? movies it's like are eight for. hours. It's a working day. Gone, gone with the wind. Of escaping yeah. poverty. How do I live at the movie? I want to escape forever. I, I would live there. John, what does your heaven look like? Because mine is the movies. <laughs> my heaven is just chilling with my friends, Channing Tatum, Brad Pitt, <laughs> Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. You know the Andrew only Bullock, fucking cameo Bullock. that was missing? <laughs> the only cameo that was missing in this movie was fucking Keanu Reeves. Keanu and George Clooney. George Clooney should have been in there. Yeah. Just like randomly. Just because. Like, I feel like George Clooney should have been like, there should have been like a post credit scene. And it's like, yeah. uh, it's like the He should have been the guy that uh, Lemon pulled out of the tangerine truck. Oh, I like that too. Okay, but I have like, I just had like an image hit my head. It's literally like a, a phone ringing, like in a dark room with like maybe just one lamp on, you know? And then uh, uh, a hand picks it up. And you hear Brad Pitt's voice on there, or, or Sandra Bullock's voice being like, we got the case, or whatever, you know? And then it's like, good job. And then he hangs up, and it like reveals, and it's George Clooney. And then wasn't he just this, fucking fade to black. Wasn't this also a George Clooney cameo that you had for another movie? Probably. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, he actually know. had a cameo in another movie as this. Did he do that? Where he had the line over his eyes, the bar. Oh Remember? yeah! What Powers? the fuck was that? I don't know. Might have been awesome. See, that Powers. sounds cool though. I want to see. I guess I want to see that movie. I guess like subconsciously, so, maybe I'm still like, where is that George Clooney bad guy movie? <laughs> it's there. It's, it's there. <laughs> so overall, the critics suck. No, I'm kidding. But the, <laughs> seriously, the critics were split on this movie, 54%, right? Like, it's kind of like in the middle. Some like it, some hate it. Uh, half really hated it because it came off as a cheap knockoff of a Guy Ritchie movie, which is strange because all Guy Ritchie movies are cheap knockoffs of They're other all movies. Bad. Mixed with, uh, Quentin Tarantino. Uh, and for those, like, what does that even mean? Go watch The Man from Uncle. Uh, which would be a Guy Ritchie movie that sucks or The Hateful Eight, which is a Tarantino movie. Yeah. And the critics are essentially saying that this movie is Tarantino in the way that it wants to be witty, character-driven, thought-provoking, bordering on, I'm a lot smarter than you elitist, but stuck with the Guy Ritchie. Let's make this look really visually appealing, but have no substance whatsoever. Yeah. So that's half. The other half are taking it as a form of escapism. At the movies, like you said, heaven, uh, that takes you in, turns your brain off, <laughs> and... Uh, Brings you along for the ride. So once again, we're faced with this familiar conundrum with the critics. Uh, they have no fucking idea what they're talking about. They're so it's wild. They, uh, they have no united front. Yeah, I mean, call the you Democrats. Should, should you though? Like call the Democrats. <laughs> uh, it's it is interesting though that like some some critics seem like they accept that some film can just be escapist absurdist dumb you know and there are some that will be like because of that or because there's no emotional or intellectual footprint like whoever wrote that roger ebert review said then then that that like takes away from the movie but it's like why can't it's all subjective so it's like you could have a good movie like you know like the godfather and then you could have like a good movie like total recall or die hard (laughs) yeah 
who knows? Yeah. But let's see what the uh, the the audience have to say. You know, up at seventy six percent, which is uh, good, not great for action movies. Most of the other action big blockbuster ones we've been reviewing have been a little bit higher. So uh, let's take a little look see here. This first one. Uh, honestly, like a few of these made me laugh out loud. Uh, this okay. first one from Arthur gave it a one star. Uh, we walked out of the theater after only about 20 minutes. Violence. I, a senseless way, in a senseless way. Violence uh, in a senseless way. Ugh. Yeah. And then this next one, <laughs> Jody C gave it three stars. From the previews, I didn't realize there was so much violence and blood. Cracks me up. The name is Bullet Train. Also, like, maybe you and I are desensitized. Maybe. (laughs) Because I watched this and I was like, I didn't think about that once. Even though there is, like, a scene now in my head of uh, Bad Bunny's wife just, like, spewing blood. Yeah. (laughs) That was the worst of it, I feel like. Yeah. But it wasn't that bad. Then we get into some of the the more favorable reviews that make a little bit more sense. This one doesn't make any sense, but Kizzy gave it five stars. Love Brad Pitt and Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum crossover, which is strange because by reading that sentence, you would think Channing Tatum and Sandra Bullock were heavily involved in this movie. Tangerine and Lemon were cool. Overall movie was eh, five Eh. stars. Five (laughs) stars still? Overall movie was eh. I give it the highest award. <laughs> For me. Uh, yeah. And then this last one we have here from Christopher. Highly entertaining. Good watch. Funny jokes. Lots of celebrities. Good action. Four and a half stars. And I think that is the perfect review from the audience and kind of of the movie because that is as perfect. I was going through this. Yeah, that's it. As I was going through this from the audience, I was shocked. This movie had the most reviews I've ever seen that contained we left during the movie that I've ever seen. I honestly thought I was going to see a review from Spielberg somewhere saying I left during this movie as well. (laughs) Uh, Because like if you walked out of Transformers, I wonder at what point he walked out of this movie. Uh, Incredible. So overall, I think it was rated in the 76%. Uh, depending on how excited the person was for the action and the laughs, uh, because comedy and action are what the audience loves in this movie and in life. Yeah. So, what would you give this? Seventy-six, fifty-four. Ooh, we got our real top for the real rating. Right Let's go. Boom. <laughs> I guess that's all she wanted to give today, John. That's it, man. Hey. Can't always oh, give well. it 100%. What are you giving it? Not 100%. Real ranking. <laughs> Real ranking. Where we look at movies 0 to 100, 100 being the best movie ever. 0, as we mentioned last week, would be the Batgirl movie, which just was made, but will never make it. What it are you giving seen. it? It'll never be seen. Um, John, I didn't think this was a bad movie. I'm going to give this movie a 75%. Love that. I'm changing mine. To also a 75. I agree. With wow. You. It was a great movie. Wow. Wow. A unanimous consensus. I love it. I, I, I liked it. I thought it was fine. Yeah. This was uh, I liked it. I thought it was fine. <laughs> Jose Sorry. Garcia, ciao. Follow me on Letterboxd. <laughs>
<laughs> but what did you guys think of Bullet Train? You know, let us know on our socials at AARC Pod, uh, at Hoser Loser, at John B. Wolf. Be sure to catch all of our other episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Um, the next episode, what do we? What do you think we're gonna do? Now? We don't even know yet. We don't know. But we don't know yet. Probably be our wrap on Hot Boy Hot Blockbuster Summer with our big beefy boys. It might be so our last be big beefy boy hot blockbuster summer movie. Um, if you guys have any suggestions, you know, maybe we should go see Beast, John, the Idris Elba movie where he fights a lion. <laughs> probably not. Probably not. Something tells me that's going to be universally panned. Anyways, thank you f- for listening. Thank you for reaching out. Uh, once again, Jose Garcia Chow at Jose Loser, John Wolf at John B. Wolf. Today, it seems like we sided with the audience. You know? Yeah. We did. Sided with the audience. Escapism is real. And uh, I'll allow you now to escape this podcast. And remember that at the end of the day, everyone is a real critic. Real critic.